Money FM 89.3, best of workday afternoon. Hello and welcome into the Health Suites on Money FM 89.3. I'm Melissa Hyag. And joining me on the line today to discuss how 3D printing technology is changing the world of bone implants for those with defects in the skull is Assistant Professor Vincent Nga, consultant at the Division of Neurosurgery, Department of Surgery at the NUH. Hello, Prof. How are you? Hi, Melissa. Good afternoon. I'm well. How are you? <laughs> very, very well. Thank you for joining us on the show today. Okay, 3D printed implants. How are are they different from the more commonly used titanium implants? Yeah, so the 3D implants are generally, you know, customized to a particular patient. And uh, traditionally, as you rightly pointed out, you know, the titanium meshes were hand-molded by neurosurgeons prior to implantation. And as you would imagine, the shaping and the symmetry of the implants are usually less than perfect when when it's compared to that of the customized 3D implants. And in the recent years, I think uh, the 3D implants have been uh, come come to the forefront of uh, most of our cranioplasty surgeries. It is uh, essentially the image um, is first acquired using CD scans and then it is processed uh, computerly and digitally before a 3D implant is then, uh, you know, customized to a particular patient. So the symmetry and hence the cosmetic effect um, for the patient is a lot better when we compare it to the previously hand-molded titanium implants. Right, right. But what about the material used? Ah, yes. So there are several materials that have been used uh, in cranioplasty. The commonly used ones in the past were that of the titanium, uh, the acrylic, as well as the PIC implants, which is, which is uh, PIC basically stands for polyether ether ketone. In recent years, uh, neurosurgeons here at NUH, as well as working closely with some of our scientists at NUS and NTU, we have developed a 3D printed bioresorbable skull implant. And this is using a newer material called uh, polycaptrolactone or PCL in short. They mean advantage of this implant is that it encourages regeneration of the patient's own scalp while gradually being resolved by the body over a period of one to two years. It, is, it therefore leaves no foreign body behind. And uh, this has been proven actually, Melissa, to be very extremely successful in relatively small skull defects. And what first started off, you know, as a very small uh, Singapore startup company is now listed in the Australian Stock Exchange as well. And the, the company is uh, called Ostipor. Okay, let's swing back to a couple of things that you mentioned yeah. there. This biodissolvable material. It was developed by at NUH? Yes, so it was uh, with collaboration with the scientists at the Biomaterial Sciences uh, you know, faculty at Engineering at NUS. Wow, you can't just weave that into what you say just like that. I mean, this is like massive, massive achievement. Congratulations, it's very well done. Yeah, I mean, uh, <laughs> it wasn't myself that was, uh, you know, there at the initial stage, uh, but a few of the scientists in the plastic surgery um, faculty as well as the neurosurgery faculty, you know, had developed this uh, in conjunction with some of our uh, engineers at NUS. Yeah. Wow, okay, well, but still well done um, to the entire, you know, uh, team at NUH. Um, then you also talked about um, uh, cranioplasty. What exactly is that, please? So cranioplasty is a surgical procedure that is performed to repair a patient's skull defect. The defect uh, is usually a result of decompressive craniectomy, and uh, that is basically a procedure that's performed to remove a portion of the patient's skull. Commonly, it is done in a setting of stroke or severe head injury. The cranioplasty implant, as we mentioned, you know, can be made up of several materials. Mm. Mm. And uh, 
uh, you know, it can either be hand-molded or 3D printed, essentially. But um, the material that you talked about, again, I know it's, well, it's biodegra- uh, biodegradable, right? Biodissolvable. Mm-hmm. And it's supposed to be non-toxic. How long would it take to break down in the body? Yeah, so we have actually done studies, both animal and human studies. Uh, it, it appears to biodegrade over a period of one to two years. And okay. uh, during that period, you know, uh, what the studies have also shown is that it does promote bone regeneration in the in the region. So as you mentioned, you know, this uh, this uh, material basically acts as a scaffold uh, for the osteogenesis of the bone uh, cells to go across essentially and form mm. pretty hard cortical bones actually. Okay, so so to put it in plainer terms, let me check yeah. if my understanding is correct, right? <laughs> okay, um, it's not the material itself that encourages uh, bone growth. It's the fact that over time, because it's dissolving bit by bit, um, our bone tissue would just naturally grow into the space that's left behind slowly. That's how it helps it, with bone regeneration. Yeah, you are somewhat right about that, Lisa. Um, but in actual fact, it is actually a combination of factors. So one is actually the material itself. So it promotes a bone growth. And mm. secondly, ah. it's also the special design of the material. So it's a 3D printed spiral-like design. Right. So that encourages the bone cell to grow within them uh, as well. Oh, okay. Okay, and in human studies, how long has this been in use already? Oh, so we have had uh, it being used for more than 10 years now. Ah, okay. Okay, I yeah. ask that in part because, you know, we all thought that titanium was super safe and everything, and then we discovered that in the longer term, you know, that it could present some problems, right, for people. Mm-hmm. So that's why mm-hmm. I wanted to know, um, you know, uh, how long this material has been used. Um, yes. But in terms of time, right, um, I, yeah. I know that in cases like that, um, you know, time is of the essence. Um, mm-hmm. The titanium implants, uh, you know, are like you described earlier, ready-made, whereas like uh, those for 3D, you know, printed ones, um, you know, they are customized, right? Mm-hmm. And, and naturally, you would only have the patient first and then you figure out, you know, what they need and then you get it done. How long does that take? Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's uh, essentially the titanium implants because it can be hand-molded and the meshes are readily available. So in settings, uh, emergency setting where we do need to replace the skull uh, for whatever reason, you know, we will tend to use the titanium meshes. Uh, whereas where time is on our side, uh, usually the 3D printed uh, molds or the 3D printed implants will take uh, anywhere between one to three weeks for it to be made available. Uh, the locally produced uh, one, which is done by Osteopore, uh, will take a shorter period of time. Uh, whereas we also have uh, one that is shipped in from Switzerland mm. that generally takes about three weeks for it to arrive. But um, as with, no matter how safe a procedure is or how safe certain materials are, usually I know, you know, <laughs> with uh, medical uh, professionals, you guys are like really cautious and you're always like, oh, okay, but on the other hand, you know, there could be all these potential uh, side effects or you mm-hmm. know consequences after. What are some of, of them that you can tell us about for, for this particular use of technology? Yeah, so the implant itself is pretty safe. In fact, uh, even the uh, titanium implants theoretically is very safe and well tolerated. You know, in the past, what we we have encountered was the hand-molded titanium implants tend to extrude out of the skin after a period of time. Mm. But that is usually many years after the initial surgery. On the other hand, you know, the 3D printed one so far has been very well tolerated. We have not had any case uh, of uh, the implants being rejected by the body, actually. And uh, we have also had, you know, some uh, clinical studies uh, that is in, in production whereby, you know, the patient satisfaction has been pretty high as well uh, when 3D printed 
bioresorbable implants is being used in this patient. So can we say that the risk of infection is zero in using, you know, these 3D printed ones? Yeah, unfortunately, we would never be able to achieve <laughs> yeah. a zero rate. There's that uh, medical caution coming in. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And I think that is, that is true even if uh, there were no implants that were used uh, during a surgery. Mm. Certainly, whenever any implants are used in surgery, the infection rates do go up. Mm. Um, Thus far, we have not uh, been, uh, we have not encountered any increase in the rates of infection. Uh, let's put it this way, you know, yeah, when we use the newly, uh, slightly newly designed uh, bioresorbable implant. Yeah. Okay, no increase in the rate, but can we say that there has been a reduction in the rate of, uh, you know, infection risk? Yeah, so overall, the rate of infection has been pretty low over the period of the last decade or so. And I think that has been a combination of reasons, uh, not specifically due to the implant itself, but mm-hmm. uh, it's the, because okay. of adoption of, you know, uh, okay. all careful the aseptic techniques, you know, uh, okay. and being more careful with the infection prevention uh, protocols. Okay, so significantly lower than if we were to use other kinds of implants, including titanium, right? Pretty similar, um, but definitely not higher. Definitely not higher. Okay, yeah. very conservative there. Okay, yes. so um, yes. who can, finally, I, I think, who, who can, what kind of patients um, are suitable for these procedures? Or, you know, if you like, you can also answer in terms of what kind of patients are not suitable for these procedures. Yeah. Yeah. So cranioplasty would be suitable for most patients. Uh, who have had part of their skull removed for one reason or the other. Uh, It is uh, generally best performed after the initial brain insults have settled completely. And for patients with smaller skull defects, you know, the 3D printed bioresorbable implant uh, has an excellent track record. On the other hand, for larger skull defects, you know, what we've found thus far, and uh, this has been trial and tested, obviously, is that the one of the other customized 3D implants material uh, probably, you know, has a better track record from that perspective. Okay. And what about surgery recovery? Yeah, is yeah. It so patients recover pretty quickly, actually. So we would uh, say that after the initial 24-48 hours, most patients are back to their feet, Yeah, back on their feet, actually. Okay, compared with uh, those using more traditional types of implants? Well, the implants itself don't make too much of a difference to the initial recovery, I would uh-huh. put it that way. Yeah, okay. so uh, the more important thing with the bioresorbable implant is that it, it doesn't leave a trace after that uh, one to two years, uh, no yeah. one is completely absorbed. Okay, so we're yeah. looking at more medium to long long-term sort of benefits, right, using this uh, technology. Hey, thank you. And certainly, you know, when you were talking about infection, um, Mm. there's no foreign body in that, you know, after that one, two years period, Mm. then the infection rate in the long run will be much lower, for sure. Well, Prophet Vincent Ngai has been very educational talking to you. Thank you so much for sharing that. It's been my pleasure. And thank you for the great work you guys are doing at NUH, our public medical service. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good afternoon. Thank you. I've been speaking with Assistant Professor Vincent Nga, consultant at the Division of Neurosurgery at the National University Hospital. I'm Melissa here for the Workday Afternoon, and you are with Money FM 89.3. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A W E D I O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.